morning, happy Sunday everyone. This is Amy and welcome back to the LBC podcast. This morning we are continuing our Pursuit of Purpose series. We've looked at what our purpose is, we've looked at what it means to worship and to share fellowship and this week we will begin uh, our next theme of discipleship looking at what it means for us to help one another grow and become more like Jesus. We are deliberately designed by God and given creative capacities in his likeness so that we can operate his rule and reign throughout the earth. This means continuing the work of creation in partnership with God filling the earth with more of his likeness in both shaping the natural world around us and creating families which reflect his relationship with us. Fellowship is our covenantal belonging to the family of God, offering a life of intimacy built on a shared purpose, bound together by God's loyal love. We, the church, are the family who reflect God's love to the world in the way that we love one another. We've talked often through this series about what it means for us to be the image of God, reflecting his character and his creative order throughout the world. It's something which, in theory, should be second nature to us because it's the way we were made. However, as we know, the entrance of sin has distorted both the image of God in us and in the world around us. The serpent in the garden deceived Adam and Eve about what it looked like to rule and reign as God's representatives. He distorted the truth about God's word, spinning stories about what God had left them lacking and incited a desire to rule independently of God. While sin remains a part of our world, this is a tension we still face today. As we've already learned, God gave his people the laws and wisdom literature of the Torah. It's a comprehensive guide to godly living in the hope that through years of community life and generational instruction, this life of holy order would become once again second nature and help to keep distinct boundaries between what is an appropriate reflection of God's character and what is not. This guide would help his people not to be swayed by other voices those who would lead them backwards towards chaos, death, and destruction. But as we know, it wasn't enough. God's people still failed to be faithful and couldn't get to grips with what it looked like to bring divine order to human living. So God made the ultimate move towards redeeming humanity. He came to earth himself as a man and showed us what this divine human partnership should look like in the flesh. That man was called Jesus. Fellowship is how we live together and love one another as equal members of God's family. This is a really important thing for us to understand. When Paul writes to the church in Galatia, he has to help them understand why the church is different from the world around them. There were divisions in the church over who was part of God's covenantal family, and the churches in Galatia had been advocating that the Jewish Christians were the most important and that all new Christians must join them and become like them, living according to the written covenant God had made. 
Paul has to correct them and help them to understand that everyone who comes into God's family is now equal and part of a new, more diverse family, living in holy order, not by the wisdom and letter of the written law, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, which writes the wisdom of holy order on our hearts. Here's what he says in Galatians 3. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In a culture where there was a real hierarchy of power that was defined by ethnicity, gender and social status, the church was a radically reformed family where, regardless of all these things, each person was equal. And being equal meant that one group were not required to become more like the other. They were not even to become like another teacher of the gospel, like Paul or Apollos. They are to become students, followers or disciples of the one teacher who can show them what it means to become the image of God here on earth. The goal was not for the Gentiles to become like the Jewish people, but for all Christians to become like Christ. We as followers of Jesus are to become more like him. This means to learn from him, to be his student. This is what the word disciple means. Discipleship is our journey towards becoming more like Jesus, learning from his life and following his lead in becoming the true images of God that we were always meant to be. One way to do this is through the written stories that we have about Jesus in the Bible. To help us imagine what is this Christ-like way of living, we can read the stories of the literal, actual disciples of Jesus as told in the Gospels. Now keep in mind that these guys did not do a particularly good job most of the time. They had God himself in the flesh teaching them how to live and they still couldn't always work it out. So what did the disciples actually do? As we know, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching through the parables and other discourses and modeling this life of fellowship and ministry with the people who had chosen to follow him. The disciples followed Jesus wherever he went, listening to his teaching, sharing in fellowship, and learning to responsibly use the gifts and authority that he had given them to help with his ministry. It's like a mirror image of that divine human partnership set out in Genesis, where God begins the work of creation and equips humanity to continue it under his guidance. Jesus models this life of mission and ministry on earth, training the disciples to carry it on without him under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived out the way of life that the Old Testament laws were pointing people to. As we learned from the church in Corinth last week, as Christians, we are called to love one another the way that Christ would love us. We are to gather in a way that's honoring to him in our worship. That's fellowship. But there was another issue at play for the church in Corinth, and that was discipleship. 
While every family member was equal, not every member has equal responsibility, nor has the same understanding of how to live out their faith the way that others do. Paul makes it clear that those who are more mature in their faith, have greater knowledge, or are in a position of leadership, have a responsibility to disciple those who are newer to the faith, and of course, to still be discipled themselves. This is why Paul addresses the whole issue around the meat, because those who possess the appropriate knowledge of what is Christ-like have a responsibility to live it, teach it, and share it with those who do not. This is the other part of discipleship, submitting ourselves to the tutelage of those more mature in their faith or experienced in a particular area of the Christian life to help us become more Christ-like. God has given us people in the church with specific gifts and skills to do this. We read this in Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Some people will be appointed into particular leadership roles to equip the church as a whole. We need people to help oversee and facilitate our growth as a fellowship. As we learn to negotiate the space between us, navigating what's mine and yours, learning to weave our strings with care and order, Paul advocates that as a church, we should be working towards maturity. We've talked about this before in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. The maturity is something we must pursue, both as a fellowship and as individuals. Here's what I've learned working with Christians of all ages and stages. Age is inevitable, but maturity is a choice. There are people who've been Christians for 20, even 30 years, whose knowledge of Jesus and maturity as a believer is almost the same as when they first came to faith. They are, as Paul says, still spiritual infants, taken captive by teaching of any kind, unable to discern what is good or true. There can be a number of reasons for this. Emotional immaturity, resistance to change, poor self-awareness, lack of mature leadership, or conditions which will genuinely hinder their learning. However, there seems to be one common quality among those who do mature in their faith, and that quality is commitment. As any teacher, counsellor, or pastor knows, you can offer the best possible teaching, guidance, or instruction within the immediate learning environment. But the real work happens when people are faced with the opportunity to apply what they've learned and are committed to making the choices that will lead to greater maturity. I've met people who are relatively young in age, but mature in faith because they've made a commitment to their spiritual growth 
and strive every day to make the choices that are more Christ-like and most mature. Likewise, I've met Christians in their 60s who know little more than they did at 20 because they've settled into the comfort of what they know now and avoided the discomfort of change in every way. Our commitment to becoming mature as believers must be intentional and lifelong. We cannot do this alone, though. The letters to Timothy have similar words of caution for us. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The strong words of warning in this passage challenge Timothy to focus on his growth and his maturing, not to give in to the culture of immaturity, ignorance, and foolishness around him, but to pursue righteousness along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, if you want to grow, you need to run from immaturity, run towards righteousness, and run with those who can get you there. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Social science says that we are the sum of the five people that we are closest to or most influenced by. We unknowingly and unintentionally become like them. Think of the five people you spend most of your time with. Are they people you would aspire to be like? Are they running towards the things that you ought to be running towards? This is why we have the church. We're called to be in relationship with one another so that we can run towards God together, encourage each other, equip each other, and keep each other accountable along the way. It's just a fact that whatever you're trying to achieve, you've got a better chance of reaching your goal if you have two or three friends who are also trying to do the same thing. That's something to be incredibly intentional about, even in the small things. If you decide that you need to mature in the way that you speak and think about other people, you don't want to be the kind of person who holds grudges or gossips, but it's the substance of most of your friends' conversations it's going to be so much harder. They won't stop you doing those things because it doesn't bother them if you do it. Whatever area of faith you need to grow and mature in, you need people who can pull around you and who will model or teach for you what you're trying to achieve. You need people who will encourage you, pray for you and run towards that goal with you. As we grow and mature, we're also able to do this for other people, helping them to grow and mature. Discipleship is not a school from which we graduate or a ladder by which we work our way to the top. There is no final destination. Rather, discipleship is a way of life, one in which we will find ourselves both teaching and learning in different capacities along the way. It means choosing to seek and submit ourselves to relationships with those who can teach us. It means cultivating mutually beneficial relationships with those who can grow with us. And it means taking on the responsibility of being a good role model for those who can learn from us. Think of relationships in discipleship like a three-lane highway. In the left-hand lane, the traffic is always slightly ahead of us. 
Those who are further along the road have the insight to warn us about potholes, obstacles in the road, inclement weather or sharp turns. Their experience can speak to us about the road that we are currently on and prepare us for what may lie ahead. These are the leaders we learn from. We're accountable to them and they have a responsibility for us. In the middle lane are those who are on the journey beside us. They can share in the joys and the hardships with us as they face them too, recognizing the issues that are unique to our age, stage or situation. Together, there's a mutual discipleship through which we hold one another accountable and keep each other encouraged as we work things out together. On the right-hand lane are those coming along the road behind us. They may be newer in their faith or just new to this particular stage or situation. We may have some experience and wisdom to share that will help to guide them along the way. Where these relationships are mutually agreed as deliberate discipleship, they are accountable to us and we are responsible for them. When it comes to discipleship, we must always remain in the middle lane. Every age and stage of life is new to us. Therefore, we still have much to learn from those who have already been there. We will never reach a place where we have nothing to learn from the wisdom of others, even if that wisdom sometimes comes from those who are younger in their life or faith. The boundaries of these relationships are not always as linear as we might expect. It's not as simple as finding someone older and wiser to teach us everything we know. I'm friends with several wise and godly people who are between 10 and 20 years older than me. Through our relationship, they have been able to disciple me most graciously through the various life changes that come with being a teenager, a student, and a newly independent adult. Their wisdom has been invaluable for getting to grips with Christ-like living through these age-related seasons. However, as someone who now faces some unique challenges that come with also being a pastor, I need to find those who have wisdom and experience in this area to disciple me well. There are times when I need the discipleship of other women in particular, because some of the issues of spiritual growth that I'm facing are particularly related to my identity and experience as a woman. We need people for different reasons. I have a very close friend who's about five years younger than me, and our friendship has given me the opportunity to disciple her through some of the life changes that come with age, stage, and circumstance. However, she's about to become a first-time parent, and this is not an area in which I have a whole lot to offer by way of experience. As well as the friendship and support that I can offer her in general, she will also need the specific discipleship of other parents who can guide her in this particular journey as well. One of the greatest lessons I've learned is that we need to look for discipleship that is both general and specific. We need someone who will invest in us and whom we can invest in over a long period of time. We need people who can walk with us through the journey of our whole life. The value in this is that they know our history, they see the ways in which God works over the course of our lifetime, and they become adept at recognizing when we're in good health, when we're regressing, and when we need support. 
We need somebody who knows our story and can point out the patterns that we are repeating or remind us of the ways in which God has been faithful to us before. We also need discipleship that is specific and most likely just for a season. For example, those who are about to enter their first year of marriage often go through a season of discipleship with other married couples to help prepare them for the decisions they're about to make and the kind of changes they're about to face. We may need specific and seasonal discipleship when we're facing transition, grief, or changes in circumstance. This is why we need a vast array of mature believers in our lives. No one person can disciple us effectively in every area. My friends who've been married since they were 18 can't necessarily guide me in how to be a single person in my 30s. I can't offer experienced advice to my married friends on how to raise their babies. We don't always need to have experienced something to offer advice and wisdom, but certainly we need guidance from those who know what it is to live out a particular journey well or help us to learn from their mistakes. We need people to help us grow in different ways. Understanding that discipleship is not a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter program also means that in order to be helpful in our discipleship of others, we must recognize our limits in what we can offer. Knowing that a particular issue is still a significant stumbling block to us in our faith journey, or that we lack the experience necessary to guide someone through this particular season, requires us to be responsible with what we offer so that we don't misdirect them. When it comes to discipling others, recognizing our limits is not a weakness. It is in itself a mark of maturity. It is the most responsible thing we can do. As well as being general or seasonal, Discipleship can be structural, casual, or intentional. Structural discipleship comes through the church or discipleship programs through which the assigned leaders work to help others learn and grow. This happens through things like our preaching, house groups, alpha courses, and youth groups. These are a particularly helpful way to disciple the congregation or subgroups of the congregation in a way that is appropriate to their age and stage and in keeping with the vision and direction of the church. If we are going to be increasing our work out in the community, then we need to be discipling people in a way that matures and equips them for the task at hand. This may mean discipling them in a way that helps to strengthen their confidence in the faith that they want to share and equipping them to share it well. It may mean discipling people towards taking more responsibility for themselves and their interactions to help the congregation as a whole become a more mature and Christ-like fellowship. Wherever we want the church to go and to grow, to mature or to thrive, structural discipleship needs to be an integral part of this process. Discipleship can also be incredibly informal. It comes from spending time with people who happen to be in our lives through work, church, or mutual interest groups. We learn something about our own faith simply by being around them, watching them live it out, applying their example to our own lives. 
I've been fortunate enough to be around people who've discipled me in ways they may be entirely unaware of. Likewise, we must be aware that others are watching and learning from us. We may be unintentionally discipling someone and therefore must always be paying attention to what we are modeling. Informal discipleship has both its benefits and its dangers. As well as being informal, our discipleship relationships can be intentional. This means a relationship between two or perhaps three people where there's a mutual agreement about what is being offered and expected. Often this is now just referred to as mentoring. There are times where it's helpful for us to ask someone if we can intentionally spend a regular amount of time with them, whether it's a dinner once a month or a coffee once a week, in order to learn from them about a particular area of our faith where we feel they can speak into it. Throughout the accreditation process, ministers are assigned a mentor to meet with on a regular basis to help oversee their progress and provide a safe space for them to share their concerns, questions and thoughts, as well as to offer wisdom, guidance and accountability throughout this process. This is a model that can work well, particularly when we need seasonal discipleship. We may meet someone who has experience in an area we're encountering for the first time and want to formally invite them to help us with these things. We can agree to do this for as much as a month, six months, or even a year. Whether it's parenthood, marriage, retirement, discerning our calling, or questioning our faith, we must look for people who have lived experience, character that we respect, and the ability to teach or lead us in a way that we find helpful. The reality is that throughout our lives, we will need different kinds of discipleship all at the same time. We may need something general and seasonal, something casual and something intentional. We can have different people in our lives for different reasons and different seasons, even if they overlap. We also don't have to grow in every area all the time. Maturity begins with recognizing just one thing that we need to change and making the commitment to working it out. Whatever we need, we have a responsibility to be intentional about finding it, even if we don't have the right people available right now. We have our Bibles. We have books and other resources to help challenge our thinking and our practices. Maybe in your small group or your prayer triplet, you recognize an area that most of you would like to grow in. Why not suggest to the church leadership that some structural discipleship on this topic would be helpful? Maybe you've been informally learning from someone and you'd like to formally ask them for more of their time to talk about it. You have nothing to lose by asking. Whatever form it takes, discipleship is our lifelong commitment to becoming more like Christ, allowing God to mold and shape us with care back into a true reflection of his image in the company of others who are learning to do the same. As you think about your faith, and the areas in which you would like to grow. Think about the people you know 
who could help you? Is there a certain part of your faith life that you would like to develop? A particular characteristic you're trying to mature? Or a specific situation you need help to work through well? What are you running from? What are you running to? And who do you need to be running with? If you're not sure, why not spend some time in prayer this week asking God to reveal these things to you? Ask him how you can be more like Jesus in your life. You might just be surprised by the answers.